following episode contains real cases that are based on historical events, anecdotal accounts, or unverified claims. It is essential to acknowledge that the instances discussed may not have been proven or fully substantiated. Real or fabricated, you be the judge. Children dressed in costumes going door to door in search of Halloween candy. Timothy O'Brien was among them. His father, Ronald O'Brien, accompanied him along with Timothy's five-year-old sister and a neighbor's son. At one point during the evening, Ronald handed out Pixie Sticks candies. Unbeknownst to Timothy, Ronald had tampered with the candies filling the top two inches of the pixie sticks with a lethal dose of cyanide. Before bedtime that night, Timothy was allowed to select one candy from his goodie bag, and he chose the pixie stick. His father watched as he consumed the poison candy, even offering Kool-Aid to mask the bitter taste of cyanide. Tragically, Timothy soon fell seriously ill and was rushed to the hospital. Despite doctors' efforts, he succumbed to the poison. The question that haunted investigators and the public alike was, why would a father poison his own child? The answer lay in Ronald O'Brien's sinister motive. He had taken out life insurance policies for each of his children, including Timothy, Ronald hoped to collect the insurance money to alleviate his financial troubles and provide a comfortable life for his family. The murder of his son, Timothy, was a horrifying means to this wicked end. Following Timothy's death, an intensive investigation led to the discovery of Ronald O'Brien's guilt. He was arrested, tried, and found guilty of the murder. In 1984, A decade after the crime, Ronald O'Brien was executed for his actions in the Texas gas chamber. The Halloween candy poisoning case left a profound and lasting impact on Halloween traditions and parental fears. While the case was exceptionally rare and remains an isolated incident, it ignited widespread panic and reinforced the belief that Halloween candy could be tampered with, despite the lack of any other documented cases. As a result, parents became more vigilant about inspecting their children's Halloween candy, and concerns about safety grew. Submit your questions and stories to ScreamQueerCast at gmail.com or by submitting them to Instagram at ScreamQueerPodcast and catch new episodes every Tuesday morning wherever podcasts are streamed. Remember to rate and subscribe. Welcome to the Scream Queer Podcast with Ralph Anthony. The following content contains topics describing graphic violence, strong sexual content, explicit language, and elements that may not be suitable for some audiences. 
Listener discretion is advised. Hello, beautiful. Welcome back to Oblivion. How are you doing? I hope wonderful. I hope you're thriving. And most importantly, I hope you're hanging in there. You know, I'd love to say I'm doing great over here because we are in October. The Spookies are thriving. We have risen, everyone. It is our time. It is our moment. I'm spooky all year long, but October is when myself and my fellow Spookies thrive. But you know what? I think I'm just in a space where I'm really stressed. I'm stressed out about my health. I'm stressed out about my home. But let's discuss one demon at a time here. Health-wise, I'd really love to know what is going on because your boy hasn't not been feeling too hot lately. And thinking about it, I believe this really frustrating journey began back in May where my doctor, hi doctor, was just prescribing a shit ton of painkillers, pain patches, and a really potent anti-inflammatory with some serious side effects that I just, I was not about to go through. I didn't use any of them. I only took the vitamin D because I was low on that and we all know I love some vitamin D little gay joke there so flash forward to my doctor's visit now i'm going in i'm being sent out with another prescription that i'm not going to use and i'm being told all of these things but none of them have any relevance to why i am here to begin with so here i am just going in and then i'm just like taking whatever they're telling me and leaving and then i'm like nothing's helping i don't want to live at a doctor's office no We're not going to do that. No. So then I started advocating for myself. The moral of the story, before I get off on a tangent here, is just to simply tell all of you beautiful people listening, if you're going to the doctor for any reason, maybe you have weird bumps, lumps, random pains, please advocate for yourself. Don't feel like you're being annoying. Don't feel like you're a pain. This is your life. Okay? It's your life. And some of these doctors like to really downplay your condition and take their time with treatments. Don't take every medication given to you. Question, what are you giving to me? Take care of the problem. I get a little irritated reliving like my doctor's visits, which have gotten better now. But again, I'm just, I'm sharing this because I know that there are some people out there who are going through this or have experienced this and just know that you need to advocate for you because no one else is going to do it but you. Be assertive or move on to a different doctor. Okay, I have a story time for you all. I think my house might actually have a devil bitch living inside of it besides me. Or at least I think it's possessed by something So on Tuesday, October 3rd, around the lovely time of 4.30 p.m., 
I am taking the pups outside and I notice something crawling along the tile of my living room floor. It's small. It's off-white. It's a maggot. Ready for a little flashback montage here? So I'm 10 years old. I'm taking my grandma's trash bins to the front of the house. It's trash day, of course. I am talking to one of my friends as I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, I kind of feel something on my arm, but I'm not really paying attention to it. And I hear my friend say, dude, your arm. So I look at my arm and I have maggots on me. And the trauma began at that moment. So cut back to the present day. I'm grossed out by this one maggot, but I just think like, oh my gosh, one of my dogs brought it in playing with a dead lizard or something because there are a ton of lizards running around here. And I found a few dead before outside with maggots on them. No, not this time. So I begin to scope the floor out and I notice a small army of maggots migrating toward the patio door window. I carefully walk toward the kitchen and see more migrating toward the patio. And at this point, I am in full-on panic mode. I am at the point of passing the hell out. I don't know what to do. I know maggots are harmless, but I... There's just, there's always been like a fear where I can't even stand the sight of them. So it's about 6.30 p.m. Why I was standing or pacing back and forth, I have no idea. I, <laughs> I needed to figure it out and just like suck it up, um, which I ended up doing at 6.30 p.m., which like two hours later. Um, I mean, I didn't want them to spread to like any of the like the rooms or to like any of the like bathrooms like So I start spraying bleach All over the floor They're not dying if anything the liquid seemed to kind of speed them up So I create a hot water vinegar spray Nothing at this point. I'm creating a poison gas for myself and <laughs> And then I grab powdered bleach um they're still thriving. I don't want to smash them because I don't want them under my shoe. So now it's about 7 p.m. The maggots are flooding the patio door, and now they're climbing up the wall by the, the door and the window in that area. I'm just, like, doing what I can. I'm spraying them so they can slide down because I don't want maggots on my ceiling. And <laughs> this is so dramatic. But, yeah, I just started, like, covering them with napkins and smashing them that way. And like, I'm, I'm so desperate. And like, as I'm killing some and like wiping them up with, with napkins, I'm noticing more like appearing and I'm like, what the hell? So I'm like really desperate now. And I think to myself, like, why not just start burning them? So here I am. I'm not even scared to like face them at, at this point because I'm exhausted and I start just burning them all with like 
napkins that are on fire and throwing it at them and I'm bringing them with a lighter. I'm using incense and just <laughs> all I can remember now is just the like sizzle sound they made and the smell of burned hair. It, <laughs> oh my God, it was just so traumatizing. And the scary part is <laughs> uh, a source was never found. So I just ended up pouring boiling water onto the patio door windowsill and down most of the drains because I, 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 I didn't know what to do. The exterminator came out and they just said, you have a lot of organic material in your windowsill. So make sure to get that out because they could be feeding on that. But I don't know. It's just a very bizarre situation and I just, I wish I had an answer for why this happened. But what are you gonna do? If you don't hear from me for a while or you might see a news article, man blows up house, you know why. Because as dramatic as that sounds, that actually crossed my mind during that situation. Just destroy the house at this point, like, yeah. Enough of Maggie Gate. Saw X or Saw 10 has been unleashed. And you guys, I've got to say, I was impressed. I was really, really, really satisfied with this film. And I'm not really into the slow burn horror films, but I was invested in this one because it did start out a little slow. From the first half being a more like in-depth look at John Kramer, played by Tobin Bell, it kind of gave you like more insight on his life after having found out about his brain tumor and how he only has months to live. And again, just showcasing how traumatizing and cold some of these experiences with medical professionals could be, thus leading to John searching in honestly just grasping for any outlet to possibly extend his life so he ends up finding an organization that promises to help cure him by performing some miracle surgery followed by days of drinking a medical cocktail of some sort i don't know it turns out poor guy it turns out that all of this was a big old scam just to get his money and the woman behind the scam, Dr. Cecilia Peterson, and her little pawns are now targeted by John Kramer and his sidekick, Amanda, played by Shawnee Smith, who was actually my favorite character out of the entire franchise. And I just, I fell in love with her all over again in this film. So they capture all of these scammers and put them through the typical jigsaw game scenarios. The traps were more on the level of the first few films of the franchise and what i mean by that is they they were brutal yes yes brutal but they weren't too over the top like we had seen in like saw five or six or even seven i mean the film does take place between saw and saw two so i'm glad it, it kind of matched that era when I tell you, I hated Dr. Cecilia. I fucking hated this woman. She was a fucking greedy bitch. And I wanted 
nothing more than just to see her get torn apart by the chains that she was trapped in. And if you've seen the film, you know what happens. But without giving too much away, I was satisfied with what played out. It was clever. It was entertaining. I cringed during some of the traps because fuck. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm going to talk about one trap. The trap where one of the scammer nurses has to cut her leg, cut through her leg with a wire. My body was in hives practically because the sounds and all of that was so effective. Think of hereditary when the mom is beheading herself with the piano wire. It was giving very that, but like with like a leg. So, (laughs) but, but Overall, in my opinion, Saw 10 was just fantastic. It brought the franchise back to a form that had been missing for quite a while now. It captured the essence that made the original so great and added more depth to the John and Amanda characters. Great twist at the end, great bloodshed, great story. I think I only rolled my eyes when they used someone's intestines as a rope to grab something or something like that. But overall, Saw X is Scream Queer Podcast approved. Let's take a break. And when we come back, it wouldn't be October without some spooky paranormal cases. Stick around after this quick break. Top of the day, everyone. I'm Nisha. And I'm Buddha Badass. And we're the host of Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. Do you guys like true crime? I really don't. I feel like you force me on this show every freaking time I come here. Every single Thursday, we drop the most hottest cases and we have fun while doing it. Uh, you, you drop the most hottest cases? You drop murder and death. How many people can actually say that they have fun while listening to a true crime podcast? And I feel like that's what we do here. So you're just not going to listen to me now? Our listeners are not just our listeners, but they're our friends and our trash pandas. So check out Hot Garbage anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Check us out every single Thursday a new episode drops. I officially hate this commercial. supernatural terror. It was a beautiful Dutch colonial home, but beneath its picturesque exterior lurked malevolent forces. The horrors began on the fateful night of November 13th, 1974. Ronald DeFeo Jr., overcome by an unseen evil, brutally murdered his entire family as they slept one by one. It was a family like any other, parents, Ronald DeFeo Sr. and Luis DeFeo, both age 43, and their other children, Dawn, 18, Allison, 13, Mark, 12, and John, just 9. At approximately 3 a.m., a terrible event unfolded within the walls of their home. 
a 35 caliber lever action Marlin 336C rifle echoed through the silent night. The shots rang out one by one, claiming the lives of this unsuspecting family. The children, innocent and young, fell to single shots, but Ronald DeFeo Sr. and Luis DeFeo faced a more gruesome fate, each struck down by two bullets. As the nightmarish events unfolded, physical evidence would later reveal that Luis and her daughter Allison were awake at the time of their deaths. When the sun rose on that fateful day, the victims were discovered, all lying face down in their beds. The innocence of this family had been stolen in the darkest hours of the night. Ronald DeFeo Jr. would be sentenced to six sentences of 25 years to life. He would later die in prison on March 12th of 2021. In the year 1975, the Lutz family, George, Kathy, and their three children embarked on a new chapter in their lives. They moved into a house in Amityville, Long Island, a house they thought would bring them peace. George Lutz, a strong and resilient man, soon began to unravel. He was plagued by relentless nightmares. Each night, at precisely 3.15 a.m., the same time of the DeFeo murders, George awoke in a cold sweat, plagued by the sense that a malevolent presence was lurking within the house. In these horrifying nightmares, he saw himself carrying out violent acts, mirroring the DeFeo murders. Kathy Lutz, a loving mother, bore witness to nightmarish visions. She saw her children levitate above their beds, witnessed a demonic figure with red glowing eyes peering into her window, and would see the walls oozing with a vicious blood-like substance that defied explanation. The children, as well, were not spared from the horrors. They spoke of an imaginary friend named Jody, a sinister pig-like creature with fiery eyes that lurked in the shadows. An infestation of flies descended upon the house, swarming in bizarre, unnatural patterns that formed eerie messages on the walls, as if the very house itself was trying to communicate. In the dead of winter, the house turned unnaturally cold, even with the furnace blazing. The family's faith was tested, but their prayers only seemed to provoke mocking laughter from the malevolent entities. But the Lutz family's ordeal was not theirs alone. Desperate for help, they sought the assistance of a local priest, Father Delaney, to rid the house of the malevolent forces that tormented them. Father Delaney, a man of unwavering faith, entered the Amityville house with a Bible in hand and prayers on his lips. He intended to cleanse the home of the evil that had taken root. But as he began to recite the sacred words, an unseen force roared to life within the house. Get out. An unseen entity more powerful and malevolent than anything he had encountered hurled objects across the room. Father Delaney was forced to flee the home, his faith shaken to its core. The malevolent presence seemed to target him specifically, making it clear that it would not be exercised so easily. 
His encounter with the malevolent force left Father Delaney scarred, both physically and spiritually. The haunting, he believed, had a darkness that defied the boundaries of the natural world. His faith shattered. Father Delaney would offer the Lutz family little solace. He, too, had witnessed a malevolence that dwelled within the Amityville house, a malevolence that refused to be banished. The priest left Amityville forever haunted by the sinister presence he had encountered. It was a haunting that would continue to torment not only the Lutz family, but anyone who dared to confront the dark secrets of that accursed home. Driven to the brink of insanity, the Lutz family fled the Amityville house, leaving behind their belongings and a terrifying legacy. The horror that they endured remains one of the most infamous paranormal cases in history. The Amityville house still stands, its dark secrets shrouded in fear. In the heart of the remote Appalachian Mountains, hidden within the dense forests, lies a winding road known as Devil's Hollow. The locals speak of it in a hushed tone, their voices carrying a hint of fear, for they believe that this road is cursed. The legends claim that on certain moonless nights, the hollow awakens, and you can hear the eerie sounds of a phantom car engine echoing through the hills and valleys. John and Sarah decided to put the legend to the test. They embarked on a journey that would forever haunt their memories. The car's headlights cut through the thick darkness like twin swords as they ventured deeper into the hollow. The atmosphere grew tense, their anticipation palpable. As they wound their way through the road's twists and turns, an unsettling sensation settled upon them. The engine began to sputter, and the headlights flickered ominously, casting eerie shadows on the surrounding trees. Panic surged through their veins as the car came to a sudden, shuddering halt, leaving them stranded in the heart of Devil's Hollow. Sarah's heart pounded in her chest, her breath visible in the frigid air. John's hands trembled as he desperately tried to restart the car, but it was as if the very soul of the vehicle had been swallowed by the darkness. Then they heard it, the sound that sent shivers down their spines, the haunting growl of an engine approaching. They strained their eyes against the inky blackness and saw it, an old rusted pickup truck emerging from the shadows, its headlights casting airy beams through the night. The truck pulled up beside them, and they saw the driver, a haggard-looking man with wild, unblinking eyes that seemed to pierce their very souls. Without a word, he offered to give them a ride to the nearest gas station. Desperation clung to them like a second skin, and with no other options in sight, they reluctantly agreed. Even for a crisp mountain night, the driver remained silent, his gaze locked onto the road ahead, 
never once acknowledging John and Sarah. They exchanged uneasy glances, their unease deepened with each passing mile. Time seemed to stretch as they journeyed further into the unknown. The silence broke only by the growl of the truck's engine. The couple's anxiety swelled and they couldn't shake the feeling that something was terribly wrong. Finally, they reached the gas station at the base of the mountain and they scrambled out of the truck, their hearts still racing. As they turned to thank the driver, they found the truck empty. The enigmatic man vanished into thin air. Shaken and bewildered, they hurried into the gas station and explained what had happened. The attendant listened gravely, nodding as if he'd heard this tale before. He shared that the phantom truck and its mysterious driver were well known in those parts, their appearances leaving a lasting mark on those who encountered them. If you're new here, please consider leaving me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because it really does help me out, like, so much. But to end the episode on a really positive note, just keep an eye out because this month, again, I have risen. I am here. I will be on a number of amazing podcasts I am guest hosting on them and it's this experience has just been so amazing and I couldn't say this enough but I really do love connecting with fellow podcasters just <laughs> just just all of these amazing people so keep an eye out on that I will definitely keep you all posted but as for what's available right now you can check out my guest spot on Uncultured Gaze. Foxy Jones is that bitch. You can also listen to me on Aaron the Bland podcast, which I had an absolute blast and can literally talk to Aaron all day. And coming soon, be on the lookout for updates about my guest spots on Left of Straight, A Jaded Gay, The Manny and Sean Experience, and more I cannot quite say yet. But make sure to give these podcasts a listen and your support. I may have a few more guests on my sleeve for spooky season, so stay tuned for that. But with all of that said, I will scare you all on the next episode. Bye!